Good afternoon, everybody. Border Border, 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here on a wonderful Monday here in the capital city, getting closer and closer to Thanksgiving. Hopefully, everybody is preparing for next week. Uh, there will not be a lot of shows here uh, next week. I'll be on Monday, and that'll be it. And then uh, we'll see what happens. Obviously, we could have a college football playoff game on Friday, next Friday, with the uh, Richmond Spiders. We may have one on Saturday. Uh, we'll keep you posted on that sort of thing. But uh, let us all bask in the glow as we get set for a Monday. And you know how we do Mondays because there's a lot to get into. Uh, I have certain opinions I need to get out. One about the uh, Michigan Wolverines and and the backlash that the emotional coach got afterwards for his emotional interview. Um, so I want to talk about that. Obviously, we'll do that towards the end. Um, but you know what we do? Uh, we, we hear from you. 327-0888. That is the phone number. That is the text line for the show. Uh, I am here. Lewis is here producing. And uh, we'll take you up to 4 o'clock. And then Bob will be on from 4 until 6. Uh, but let us all think for just a moment. And, and really, college football is the sport of choice here in Virginia. Like, let's be completely honest. I mean, look, there's a lot of Commanders fans. There's a lot of baseball fans. There's a lot of basketball, hockey fans. But, like, this town and this state, I would say, is a college state more than anything else. College basketball, of course, when it was the proper months. But for the most part, it's college football. And there arguably may not be a better state. And that includes Alabama. That includes all, you know, uh, Texas. There may not be a better state in the capital city, in the world, in the United States, than the, than the state of Virginia. If you think about it, with regards to how well our teams are doing, let's focus on the top two. James Masson moves up three spots. They're 18th in the top 25. They destroy UConn. I'd like to thank, by the way, um, the uh, player who returned the last touchdown for an interception, uh, I put out a wager on my uh, articles for um, JMU to score over four and a half touchdowns. That was the fifth touchdown. I was a little disappointed. First half, we're kicking field goals on fourth and one. A little disappointed here, trying to you know take our time and get there. But luckily, JMU just destroyed UConn. They're now ten and zero. They're now eighteenth in the country. And about an hour after the game. It was announced that College Game Day, the property in college football, not this Fox Noon kickoff thing, whatever, the entity in college football, College Game Day, is heading to James Madison for this weekend's game. And I have to tell you this, and I obviously have no idea. I, I literally just got off the phone with Chris Brooks like an hour or two ago. I have no idea. But I said, this has to be, and this is my guess, this has to be a good sign for the NCAA waiver for a couple of reasons. One, if they do get the waiver, there is literally nothing that would happen better for the school, for the sport, for the NCAA to have a three-hour, and, and it's funny because I told Chris, I'm like, you're going to have a two-hour advertisement. He's like, three hours? I'm like, well, they don't really spend all the time on the school that they're at. Um, 
but there will be nothing better for an advertisement for what the NCAA is. They've made some terrible decisions. They're generally an unlikable organization. There's all sorts of negativity surrounding them. There is literally nothing that could be better for the NCAA to than to have College Game Day in Harrisonburg and have three hours where we actually praise the NCAA. Um, there's also the part where the NCAA can't necessarily afford to have those three hours essentially be College Game Day and the biggest talking heads in the sport basically saying, yeah, the NCAA failed again. You have a 10-0 school that is the best group of six school out there and would get a New Year's Six bowl game, excuse me, group of five, and would not have a bowl game. You have a now three-hour platform for ESPN, one of the partners of the NCAA, to basically tear you down for your decision-making. And I look, I don't think the NCAA and College Game Day are talking to each other. I don't think the NCAA is calling ESPN saying, don't go to JMU because you'll make us look bad. Like, I don't think that's the case. But I think if they do not approve this waiver, the thing the NCAA should do, and this would be even worse for the school, is the NCAA should basically wait until next Sunday to decide. Like, if I'm the NCAA, I'm sitting here rooting hard for JMU to lose to App State. I don't think that's going to happen. I think JMU is going to win. We've already discussed it. JMU is going to go undefeated. They're a 10.5 point favorite against App State on Saturday. I think part of that is the whole college game day thing. People have seen the last couple of college game days at JMU. They didn't exactly go well. Spiders got the win in the last one. So maybe they're betting on the school not being able to handle it. But if I'm the NCAA, I'm rooting against it. Because if you notice, and I don't know how many people have been kind of paying attention to this thing, if you look at the the Sunbelt standings right now, JMU's two games up on Coastal Carolina. If JMU wins on Saturday, they essentially clinch the East once again. There's nothing anybody else can do. And that would mean it would be JMU and Troy, which is what it should have been last year. If JMU loses, then that game at Coastal Carolina next the next Saturday becomes essentially for the Eastern Division because Coastal Carolina is 5-2. and two. They've got a non-conference game this weekend against Army. Now, I don't think the NCAA is going to rule against them. I don't think the NCAA is going to have the referees rule against them. I don't think things like that will happen. But secretly, the NCAA is rooting hard for App State and for Coastal Carolina. But I feel like college game day going there is going to shine the proper light on this whole story. Because it's funny. You think about us here in in, in Virginia and, and in Richmond. We know what's going on. You know, expand out a little bit. Maybe they know in in D.C. and North Carolina, maybe in West Virginia. Like they all know what's going on with James Madison. But now we have the opportunity on Saturday to expand this bubble all the way. Everyone in the country will know when they start out at what is it, nine o'clock, nine, ten o'clock, whatever it is. Everybody's going to expand out. They're going to know at 10 o'clock. Hey, we're here at James Madison getting ready for the JMU App State game. They're 10-0. and They're a top 20 team, and they can't go to a bowl game. Now, I'll say this. It looks really good that they would go to a bowl game even if they don't get the waiver because there's a lot of teams that are struggling to get to bowl eligibility. I don't know. I'll have to look and see if... Um, uh, they have the number. Brett McMurphy puts the number out yet, but like we're struggling to get to bowl eligible teams, which would be fantastic. But there's no way that this school deserves having to wait for everybody else in order to make a bowl game. And guess what? As also part of this, 
Pat McAfee's doing his show from Harrisonburg on Friday. I I have put a request into uh, ESPN. Hopefully, we're going to get somebody from College Game Day on, whether it's Pat, whether it's one of the other guys, Desmond, whoever, Kirk. We'll get somebody on. We'll talk to him about this. But this is the perfect opportunity for the NCAA to do the right thing this week, allow JMU to be bowl eligible, um, admit your mistake, much like you did with Tez Walker, and just become the the good organization that we never see them become. Do I think that's going to happen? Probably not, because the NCAA consistently falls on its face. I'll say if they don't announce it this week, I think there's a chance they're waiting for JMU to potentially lose. I think. I don't know. We'll see. I have no I have no spies in the NCAA. Nobody at JMU has told me anything. I think this is the best thing that could happen for the school, that college game day will be there. Why else would college game day be at a school that basically is ineligible for the Bulls? You know, you look at the schedule for next week. The schedule for next week, they could have maybe been at College Park, but they'll be in Michigan, I'm guessing, in two weeks for the Michigan-Ohio State game. They could have been in, oh, I don't know, I'm looking to see here. They could have been in Tennessee for Tennessee-Georgia, but Georgia clinched the SEC championship already, so it's going to be Georgia and Alabama. They could have been in Oregon State and Corvallis as Oregon State hosted Washington. That probably would have made more sense. It's the 7.30 game on ABC, so it would have made things very easy, assuming that Kirk and all those guys are doing that game. But they chose James Madison because they chose to shine the light on the proper thing that's in college football. And so I'm optimistic. It means nothing. I've been wrong before many times, but I'm optimistic that this will help James Madison and their case with the NCAA. I think it's a good thing that they haven't come out yet. I think it's a good thing. Now, here's the funny thing. And uh, if you want to call in and comment on this, 3270888, that's the phone number that is a text line, 804 is the area code. Here's the funny thing. If JMU wasn't around, we'd be kind of focusing in on Liberty. Liberty's now ranked. They're 25th in the AP poll. They're now ranked in the top 25. Now, I'll say this, and I keep being wrong about Liberty. I, I took Old Dominion plus the points on Saturday. Liberty hasn't beaten anybody so far. But you know what the thing they've done? While they haven't beaten a single team so far this season, they've taken care of business. Every single game that they play, they don't leave any doubt. They leave no doubt in anybody's mind. They win that game rather easily. I missed the effort. Um, I missed uh, Ricky Ronnie come out and say it was a bye week for ODU. That was a pathetic effort by the Monarchs, who are trying to get bowl eligible and want to try and win some recruiting battles in the state. That game did nothing. But here's the thing that works against Liberty in terms of the whole group of five thing. Their schedule is the easiest in the country. 133rd out of 133. There is not an easier schedule in the country. And their last two games are uh, 121st the rest of the season. Now, they'll also get a championship game in the Conference USA. They'll play New Mexico State. That does nothing. They play UMass and at UTEP, and then they host New Mexico State in the Conference USA championship. None of that stuff does anything. Nothing. Nothing in terms of anything. They could win those games 150 to nothing, and I still don't think Liberty would A, jump James Madison, and B, would jump Tulane, although Tulane is taking on water left and right. Maybe they jump Toledo. Maybe. I'm trying to see here. Toledo's schedule is 130th. So it's not like they're playing anybody. By the way, Air Force, who lost again and probably took themselves out of it, their schedule is 131st. 
all the congratulations in the world to what Liberty is doing this season. They've just done it against the easiest schedule of all time. All time. And, I mean, obviously, ranking dead last in terms of uh, strength of schedule, you can't get any lower than that. So, but they're winning these games and they're winning them handily. The Liberty's had one game that was a one-score game. They won 21-16 over Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State had a chance to score late to take the game. And Liberty's 10-0. You can't take any of that stuff away. The problem is they just their strength of schedule is just not going to help them. It's just not going to help them in the least. Um, you think about what happened with those two teams. Then you look at what else happened. Virginia Tech looked tremendous. I mean, listen, Virginia Tech played about as well as you can in that situation. I've, I said on the show, I was very afraid of going to Chestnut Hill. Weird things happen in Chestnut Hill. You know, all the drunk Bostonians in the stands. It was an early game. Virginia Tech took all that out. Drones looked really good. He ran the ball. He threw the ball. Malachi Thomas got a touchdown. Uh, the Tootin kid got a touchdown. They looked really good. They're 5-5. Five and five. They've got two games left. They need one game for, uh, for ball eligibility. They host NC State. They play at Virginia. Those are the last two games. Uh, I'm looking at Brett McMurphy's um, bowl list here. He does not have Virginia Tech. At, oh, no, he has Virginia Tech in the military bowl against Memphis, which I think the military bowl would obviously get a lot of fans if you're Tech. Because I think, you know, two days after Christmas, you're traveling to Annapolis, final game of the season. If you keep playing well, I think Virginia Tech Memphis in the military bowl would do pretty well. Um, they are one win away from ball eligibility. Now, try and figure out which team will show up on Saturday. Who knows? Uh, I'm looking at the, the point spread. Tech is a three-point favorite. So essentially a home field advantage favorite at 3.30. By the way, their game against Virginia the next week, they don't have a time yet. I made the joke on Twitter to Greg Medea that basically they're trying to find like a 6 o'clock CNBC channel they could put that game on. Because obviously there is just nothing. Um, there is just nothing. No interest in this game whatsoever. Virginia obviously lost. We talked about that. Um, and then you drop down. And we'll break in just a second. Um, you drop down a level. I mean, what the Richmond Spiders have been doing is is tremendous. And to put themselves in the situation where basically they win, and I don't know if they get a share of the championship or they get the outright championship in the in the CAA because obviously Delaware and Villanova, one of them, will also be a six and a seven and one on the season. Uh, who knows what Albany's going to do? But for the Richmond Spiders to put themselves in the situation where basically you win and you're going to make the playoffs, and I'm looking up the bracketology now on. Um, on Hero Sports, um, to put yourself in that situation after two really bad losses is tremendous. And William Mary's going backwards, and Richmond probably will be favored on Saturday down in Williamsburg, and they should be rightfully. So here's the uh, tiebreaker scenarios, and I, I promise they're they're sweating in the back that I'm I haven't broke yet because it's a long first segment. Uh, if Richmond, Albany, and Delaware. We're all tied for uh, at seven and one. Um, they didn't play each other. The only common opponent was Stony Brook, so they all went one and zero. The next tiebreaker is point differential in conference games with a twenty-one point maximum per game differential, and Richmond's dead last in that. Uh, if Albany, Richmond, and Villanova are tied, they would also go to 
a tw- uh, the point differential, and Richmond's dead last there. If Delaware and Richmond finish tied, then Richmond would get the automatic bid because they beat Elon and Delaware didn't. If Richmond and Villanova are tied, then we go to point differential and Villanova wins that. So Richmond needs to win and needs Delaware to win, and then they get the automatic bid, and um, that would be the best scenario for the Spiders. And I listen, I, I'm not going to doubt this team anymore. I will never doubt this team anymore. So we'll see what happens. Important game Saturday. We'll have our Spider player on Wednesday, and we'll preview the week as we go along. All right, let's take a timeout. Coming up, we will expand a little bit, do some national college football. Florida State, another huge victory. Who do I think the four playoff teams should be right now? We'll talk about that. I want to briefly get into the whole Michigan story, uh, and then we'll do some pro football. Unfortunately for the Commanders, they fall short against Seattle, and um, we'll put we'll talk about where they stand in terms of the playoffs and how they should play the rest of the season. We'll take you up to 4 o'clock. You're listening to 106.1 ESPN. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN Matt Joseph's here. Uh, looking at college sportsmadness.com, another one of those bracketology sites. They have Richmond in, but it also says that they need to win in order to keep that spot. They say that uh, William and Mary would need some help besides winning to get in. But to me, you want the best teams playing right now, and William Mary's certainly not playing one of the best like one of the best teams. Um, this bracketology has Delaware, Villanova, Albany, and Richmond all in from the CAA. And, of course, the irony is Richmond did not play any of those teams. They didn't play Albany. They didn't play Villanova. They didn't play Delaware. This is where, and I've said it all along, I'll say it one more time, and we'll, we'll leave it there. This is where if somehow Richmond doesn't get in, and they, they, have their, they have their own destiny to control, so part of that's on them. But the other thing that would come down is the commissioner just didn't do the Spiders right in terms of their schedule. Now, some people will say they didn't expect Richmond to be this good. doesn't matter. You've got to kind of project as the commissioner to who you think is going to be good, who you don't think is going to be good, and how can you help them get there? How can you say, you know, we need to get this team in uh, to the playoffs. Let's give them Villanova and Delaware in the schedule. But... That's just not what happened. Uh, 3270-888, that is the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. By the way, as we branch things out for college football, do you realize that there's four job openings right now for next year already? Texas A&M fired Jimbo Fisher yesterday. And the, the irony of all that is when they brought in the greatest recruiting class they could ever buy uh, two years ago, they just haven't done anything since then. And Jimbo brings in Bobby Petrino to run the offense in Texas A&M, and that didn't work out. And Mississippi State, you know, Zach Garnett was supposed to take over for Mike Leach, and it never really worked out. And then Boise State's been a disappointment, which is an ironic thing because Boise State's such a you know flagship program when it comes to the Group of Five. They have, you know, uh, I think it's one or two disappointing years, and then all of a st- all of a sudden they fire their coach, who used to be their assistant, Andy Avalos. So, and you, you always wonder what the deal is when you fire a coach to, with, with games left. I can understand it somewhat in the SEC, like you're trying to get ahead of everybody. You're trying to be able to be out there so people can look at your job and decide if they want to join your team. But, like, if you're Boise State, like, what? why are you firing a coach early? Are, are you trying to do something? But this is just what they did. Um, and so Boise State, San Diego State, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, all open for now. And I'll say this real quick. I 
and this is me guessing, I don't think... I think JMU has to be more worried about losing assistance than Kurt Signetti. I feel like Kurt Signetti is in a solid place here where he can grow as a head coach and be able to basically have his pick of jobs. He's not the type of guy, I feel like, from talking to him, that feels like he's ready to leave. You know, I felt like Everett Withers was re- was ready to leave. I felt like Mike Houston basically used JMU as a stepping stone. He went to JMU, wanted to win, obviously, wanted to do really well at the school, but then also was going to leave at the first opportunity he could. Now, East Carolina, I mean, you know, maybe he could have held out and done better. Obviously, JMU doesn't care. They did tremendous with their next hire. I don't get the sense that Kurt Signetti is going to go for, like, a Boise State or an East Carolina if it can't became open. Like that kind of job. I feel like I feel like he's gonna stay here a while, but I feel like if he is gonna leave, he will have his opportunity to go for like a higher up school. Jamie Chadwell, I don't I'm obviously I've never talked to Jamie Chadwell. We've never had him on the show. I don't think Bob's ever had him on the show. I know nothing about Jamie Chadwell. I'll say this though, he left Coastal Carolina for Liberty. So that doesn't tell me that doesn't say anything to the fact that if somebody higher up than Liberty wanted Jamie Chadwell, I think he would leave. I don't know him, though. And the money would have to be right, because obviously, as we all know, Liberty pays pretty nicely for a job of its level. So Jamie Chadwell would have to make more or have it be a high enough step up that I think he would... You never know. One really good year, Liberty goes undefeated. Somebody else sees him. It, you know, be a hard sell for a Mississippi State or a Texas A&M to hire a Jamie Chadwell one year after, after one year at Liberty. But you never know. So that's just my thought. As I said, haven't talked to Jamie Chadwell, never heard from the guy, but you can see the fact that he left a pretty good Coastal Carolina team to go to Liberty, a Coastal Carolina team that at the time may have lost Grayson McCall. Grayson McCall ended up coming back. I'm just saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that's my guess. Sometimes that's what we have to do on these airwaves. My guess is Kurt Signetti's comfortable unless a really high job comes available. And even then, who knows? But my also guess is Jamie Chadwell would leave for more money or a nice stepping stone up, which going 10-0 and at the school your first year there, that would certainly show a lot of people. Just guesses. So don't text me angrily or, or email me angrily or anything like that. It's just my opinion. Uh, I have also another opinion. So I was really happy. Uh, sorry to the Penn State fans in our area. I was really happy Penn State lost. James Franklin's one of the worst coaches you could ever have in college football. Going for two in the second quarter, and then not, and then going for two again when you're down nine. All those things were just stupid. Very, very stupid. And um, one of the most important things when it comes to coaching is knowing the analytical side of things in terms of trying to decide when to go for two. And James Franklin just fails miserably. His play calling is bad. His um, his timeout situation is bad. All this stuff is bad. And so what happens? They lose to Michigan, and they fire the offensive coordinator because James Franklin's the problem. They just didn't want to fire James Franklin because they thought maybe there's a chance they could salvage the season. So they, they fire the OC. Um, I know a lot of people were reacting to the coach after the game. Uh, of the Penn State game. And, you know, he dropped a bunch of F-bombs and, you know, stuff like that. And he was very emotional afterwards. And he was talking about uh, Jim Harbaugh like he was dead, which he wasn't, obviously. But uh, I, And I saw everybody saying, well, everybody, Michigan's playing the victim. And here's the funny thing. 
Michigan's players actually are the victims. Like, okay, you do what you want to Jim Harbaugh. The, the, the suspension was stupid. Everything about this is stupid. They got caught. They got caught doing something that I'm guaranteeing many, many, many other schools have done to some extent. But it's not the players' fault. Like, the players actually are the victims. And so I think it's funny the backlash that's Michigan's getting. But if you think about it, it's the adults that are doing the kids wrong once again. And it feels like it's always the case in college. The adults are doing the kids wrong. The adults in the room at Michigan, whether Jim Harbaugh was involved, this Connor Stallions guy, whether he has other people connected and everything, like they are the ones doing the students wrong. It's not like the students are the ones sitting in the stands and stealing signals. They're just doing what they're supposed to. They're being kids, college kids. They're doing, you know, studying and things like that. I I just I do think the kids are victims. I do. And so when a coach comes out there, it's all emotional. And look, to have what happened to Jim Harbaugh, what, 12 hours, 20 hours before kickoff? Once again, it's the kids taking, you know, a a little bit of a problem there. They they lose their head coach. Now, here's the funny thing. Michigan spent the first few games of the season without their head coach. They've done this before. And you galvanized this team, and you made them play closer together, and you brought them all together. That's what you did by basically taking away their head coach. So the NCAA is sitting there saying, oh, well, we showed them. No, you really didn't show anybody. What you did was bring this team closer together, and now you've basically put some nice dividing lines out there between the people who hate what Michigan, the people who love Michigan, and the people like me who are like, yeah, they got caught, but I'm not punishing the kids. The kids are really good. They ran the ball 30 straight times. Penn State had like the second Rush defense in America, Michigan said, screw you, we're going to do it 30 times in a row, stop us. And they didn't, and they lost. So, here's the thing, I'm looking at the top 25 right now. If you're going to say to me, Matt, how many teams have a chance to make the college football playoff? I will say nine. I will say nine. Georgia and Alabama, the winner of the uh, the game. If Georgia loses to Alabama, I don't know what happens. But the winner of the Georgia-Alabama game, so that's two. The winner of the Michigan-Ohio State game, so that's four. And I don't think a one loss, I mean, it depends on who else has one loss. Florida State, and I would say Louisville. Outside shot for Louisville. They're 9-1. and one. Outside shot. Chaos happens. Louisville wins this ACC championship with one loss. I think there's an outside shot. They make the playoffs. Washington and Oregon, presumably if they play in the Pac-12 championship, and then Texas. There's your nine right there. And not, you know those are the nine teams that are the top nine in the AP Top 25 poll. One from the SEC. I don't think you're getting two. One from the Big Ten, Florida State, and one from the Pac-12. That's my guess. Texas would have to win a lot of games and have a lot of chaos happen in front of them. But that's, that's, you know, and college football is very ecstatic right now. This, you know, they have nine possible teams. That's fantastic. Um, college football, this would be, I know, I can hear everybody saying, well, this would be the perfect year to have 12. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, probably. The irony would be if we were, if there was, if we were going to the 12 team playoff, the outcry for James Madison would be so much more because JMU would be in the college football playoff. Luckily for them, we're just basically talking about a bowl game. But if they were vying for a playoff berth, oh my goodness, that would be even more incredible. Even more 
uh, incredible. So, yeah, nine teams with a shot to make the uh, college football playoff. We'll have probably, what, potentially three undefeated teams, four undefeated teams. We'll see what happens. Those rankings will get released tomorrow. And then other than that, you know, from the weekend in college football, there wasn't a ton that really stuck out, stuck out to me. I mean, obviously a really nice win for Florida State over Miami. Felt terrible for uh, Emory Williams with the injury he sustained. Uh, the Utah-Washington game was a lot of fun. I've seen a lot of people drop the football before the one-yard line. I've never seen somebody drop the football on the three-yard line. Never seen that in my life. And my guy, Jason Benetti, who I went to school with, and he knows who I am, he called it right off the bat. He said, he didn't get in. That's a fumble. And and congratulations to the Utah offensive lineman for recovering that thing. But how do you drop the ball on the three-yard line? Like, how does that even happen? But didn't matter. They went on and win. Uh, by the way, Iowa Rutgers went under the 27.5 win uh, total. Iowa shut out Rutgers 22-0. Iowa is leading the Big Ten West. Iowa can't complete a forward pass very well, and yet they're in first place of the, of the Big Ten West. Uh, North Carolina gets the emotional win over Duke in the victory bell. And um, I'm just really sad that we have two weeks left of the regular season. I'm sad because I love college football. But we have two weeks left, and soon rivalry week comes up, and conference championships, and then the bowls, which are also awesome. But I hate the fact that college football is rapidly uh, approaching its end. By the way, I did kind of feel bad for Dave Clawson. You know, I've always said on this show that me and him never really got along 100%. It's not that he's a bad person. Obviously, I don't root against the guy, but he was crying after they lost the last game. He said his offense is broken. He took it personally. Felt bad for Dave Clawson. Um, but Wake Forest is not a good football team right now. Uh, let's take a timeout as we pass the halfway point. We'll switch over to the pros. Uh, Commanders fall short, but there's a lot of positives. We'll look at that and the rest of their schedule, where they stand uh, the rest of the season, and some college basketball uh, involving the state schools tonight. We'll update you that as well. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here. By the way, I have been very negligent so far on the show, not congratulating both Randolph Macon and Virginia Union. Uh, for their victories, and um, both of them taking care of business over the weekend. Virginia Union beating Fayetteville State 21-10. They will play at Kutztown. That's uh, Kutztown. At uh, 1 o'clock on Saturday, Kutztown is the three seed in the tournament. So um, they are coming up uh, that uh, this weekend on Saturday. Kutztown 9-2. and two. Now, I couldn't tell you anything about any of these schools, um, but they went 9 and 2. They lost their first two games and then they won their next 9. And there's a lot of good defense here. 7 17 12 3 6 3 27 3 14 during this win streak. So, from what I could tell, uh, they play pretty good football uh, defense at Kutztown and their stadium's named Andre Reed Stadium. So, that uh, will be a tough task for Virginia Union, but you have to get to the dance in order to keep dancing. So, uh, congratulations to them. And, of course, Randolph-Macon had no problems in the, in the game versus Hampton-Sydney, 49-10. So, they will host Chris, Christopher Newport on Saturday at noon out at Day Field. And they are 10-0 this season. I mean, it's just it's just been a tremendous year for all levels here in the state. I mean, you can even say, look, there's Christopher Newport. Now, granted, Christopher Newport's not going to uh, last very long in the NCAA playoffs, but um, there's another team that made the playoffs. So congratulations uh, to those schools, and uh, we'll certainly keep you posted as the week goes along. Uh, let's briefly touch on some uh, college basketball as well. 
Um, tonight in college basketball, you've got VMI at South Carolina. That's at 7 o'clock. VMI is a 22-point underdog. That's probably not going to go very well for VMI. ODU is at Arkansas. ODU is a 20-and-a-half-point underdog there. That game's at 8 o'clock. Uh, Hampton and Norfolk State are playing at 7. Norfolk State's a 9-point favorite. Uh, in that game. So those are some of the state schools that are playing tonight, at least in lined college basketball games. Over the weekend, you got a nice win by Virginia. Uh, got a text here that says, just a basketball event, but UVA deserved to be ranked. I think Tony Bennett deserves more respect, even with new players. Florida was a big win on Friday. Expect UVA to finish back at the top of the ACC as usual. Keep sleeping on the Who's. I have not slept on the Who's. I said, and if I didn't, I will say, and it's still early enough that I can get the kudos for it, I think Virginia's winning the ACC this year. I, I do. I, I think I said that in Charlotte. I mean, I didn't get a chance to vote in the poll this year because they wanted to narrow it down to uh, people who cover the teams, which is very disrespectful to me because I think I could do it better than a lot of these other people, but I would have put Virginia number one. I just think Virginia will be slow. And this is even the part of the, of the game where they're slow. Like, this is the slow start to the season for Virginia. Uh, and they get the win over Florida. This week they play host to North Carolina A&T and Texas Southern, third, Tuesday and Thursday before the game that should be illegal, um, UVA-Wisconsin next Monday. I'll tell you this right now, I'm not watching that game. I'm not even going to look at the box score. I will burn everything that says that thing because it's going to be 60-something to 50-something. Um, but yeah, of course, I think Virginia deserves a lot of credit for uh, what they've done so far. And I am as, as much of a Virginia supporter as possible. Uh, Tech loses by two to South Carolina in uh, down in Charlotte in that tournament we were talking about. So that's a, a tough loss for Tech, but I know they'll learn from it. Oh, yeah, hey, JMU's ranked. They're 25th in the AP Top 25 basketball poll. After they beat Howard on Sunday, 107 to 86, their second time this season going over 100 points. They are home on Friday against Radford, and then they play that nice little tournament in the Riviera, which I think is a great place for them to go after this hot start to the season. Richmond gets another easy win. I'm one, two games in. You know they're better than we probably think they were going to be, but I also need to see them Wednesday at Boston College to be like, yeah, you know this is what I kind of expect from Richmond. It's it, look. In past years, they've lost these games that they've played early on, so that's that's that. But I'm not going to sit here and say, well, they played two home games against two bad teams in the 300s in Ken Palm. Oh, they're back. Let's see how they do at Boston College Wednesday uh, against Colorado down in Daytona Beach on Monday, and then whoever they play in that Tuesday game. Their next three games are going to be most likely Power 5 opponents. We'll see how they do with those next three, and then come home Saturday and take on Queens on November 25th. But... Got to win the games, and so far, Richmond has. VCU bounced back. It was another slow first half. I could sense the VCU fans getting frustrated and unhappy, uh, and then they come back and have a tremendous uh, final 10 minutes where they outscore Sanford 29-15, to and they're now 1-1 one and one on the season. VCU's home Wednesday against Radford, and then Saturday against Seattle, two teams who are, you know, pretty decent Radford's 155 on Ken Palm. Seattle's 154. So, Ryan Odom just needs some time. He needs, I mean, he needs uh, Bear-style playing, but he just needs some time. Get everything going, and this team will be better. I think the goal should be an NIT bid for VCU. And I know that's probably frustrating, and that's probably angering some VCU fans. Like, where do you expect better than that? But, like, I think a reasonable expectation for um, this season's the NIT. Reasonable. 
The ultimate goal is obviously the, the NCAA tournament, but I think a reasonable goal is the NIT. That's just me being reasonable. I understand there is no such thing as fans being reasonable, but like to me, that's kind of what I'd be looking at. Um, so that's what's going on in college basketball. Um, tonight, it's uh, Michigan St. John's at 6.30. Villanova Penn in the Big Five. That's at 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, Kansas State, South Dakota State, that's interesting at 8. Xavier and Purdue at 8.30. But we're kind of in this time where a lot of teams don't want to play anybody. So, yeah. Tomorrow we have the Champions Classic. That'll be fun. But we'll, we'll talk about the, that college basketball tomorrow on the show as we get you set for that. Uh, 3270-888, that is the phone number. That is the text line. 804 is the area code. And by the way, JMU's men's and women's soccer teams have both gotten NCAA tournament appearances. Everything's coming up Harrisonburg right now. I know some of you are like, dude, you talk way too much JMU, but like, just tell them to stop winning and then we'll talk about them less. They just keep winning, and so we're gonna keep um, we're gonna keep talking about it. All right, we'll do a timeout. We've kind of left the NFL for the last segment, mostly because I think the NFL is just not exciting nowadays. College football's got a better product. College basketball has been fun the first week. Uh, the NFL's there, and we all enjoy it on Sunday, but it just hasn't been a great product as of late. We'll talk about that in our final segment. Set you up for the week ahead. You're listening to 106.1 ESPN. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN Matt Joseph's here. Uh, coming up this week on the show, we will do an interview with a JMU player, hopefully, uh, either tomorrow or Wednesday. We'll tape it before the show and we'll play it. Wednesday, we'll talk some Richmond football with uh, one of their players. Uh, Thursday, hopefully, or Friday, we'll have someone on from College Game Day. Friday, we'll have Tim Murray on. We'll do some other stuff as well. Um, you know, it's tough. You only have an hour. You got to cram a bunch of guests into an hour. So, uh, and we got, you know, everybody just keeps winning. So it's, you know, we got to take care of everybody uh, here on the show. And obviously, I, as I said, I, I haven't really done, I mean, I've done nothing on the commander so far this show. Um, obviously, they lost. And I think in the end, I mean, look, you want to make the playoffs, you want to, you know, be contenders. Um, I think in the end, this was a good loss in terms of you saw more positives once again. I'm still convinced that Sam Howell's the answer going forward. I think Sam Howell, once again, I'm willing to give him a year. You know, it's completely different when you don't have a year's worth of film and a whole offseason to study a guy. I'm willing to give him next year. Um, I'm just going to say that they do not need to use their first-round draft pick on a quarterback. Um, They need to get a defense. Uh, Benjamin St. Juiced had a bad game, a bad 50 seconds with the with the pass interference and then the face mask and then getting beat by uh, Tyler Lockett. That wasn't very good. I, I think part of the thing that's going to help the defense is getting rid of Jack Del Rio. Jack Del Rio is on his way out. Ron Rivera is on his way out. I think if you can go into next year with a coaching staff you believe in, and with a, uh, and I think you you've you've basically made it where you potentially have to keep Eric Bieniemy with Sam Howell. Like I think you just I think that's kind of where we are right now. Is that Eric Bieniemy? It's not the offense's fault. It's the defense's fault. And so I think that you know, and obviously everybody we've talked to have said, I'm ready to hand the job to uh, Eric Bieniemy next year. And have him be the OC, have him be the head coach, and then kind of see what happens from there. But I um, I think that wasn't a terrible loss. In the heat of the moment, of course, it's going to feel bad. Because let's be honest here. And I know last week I said that there's a chance they could make the playoffs. But let's be honest. Let's reevaluate things a little bit. They 
they are four and six right now. They're going to beat the Giants. If they don't beat the Giants, they don't even play the rest of the season. So then they're five and six. They're going to lose at Dallas, five and seven. I think they beat Miami. I just, Miami doesn't scare me. Miami and what will hopefully be the cold. It'll be outside. Hopefully it'll be muddy. I think I think the Commanders win that game. They're six and seven entering the bye week. I think they lose at the Rams. I think they lose at the Jets. I think they lose to the 49ers. And then maybe they beat the Cowboys because the Cowboys don't need it. And that's a seven-win season. Um, it's a tough schedule down the stretch. I certainly, before the season, thought they could win that game at the Rams coming off the bye week. I almost wonder if it's better for them to kind of evaluate things in week 15 and be like, well, maybe we shouldn't win games down the stretch. No one's going to actually admit it, but I think that might be the case when it comes to the Commanders. At Rams, at Jets, 49ers, Cowboys, and then you just kind of hope that next year you get a schedule that lines up better. The Cowboy, the, 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 the team does not have a very home-friendly stretch until the last two games of the season. The schedule makers did not do any favors to the commanders who also have, I don't know, I guess week 14 is the last buy. And if it's not the buy, it's one of the last buys. It's just the the NFL schedule makers did the commanders no favors this season. And so the the biggest thing that was you basically were auditioning Eric Bieniemy to be the head coach and you were auditioning Sam Howell. And so far, I think both of them have passed the test. We will not have Ron Rivera next year. We will not have Jack Del Rio next year. And that's the two best things that will happen for this team to come out of this season.